0: back we're back what's up Anna? <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing
1: yeah it's all off the record
0: yeah exactly yeah nothing nothing new to record Yeah. um i'm still i'm shooting my movie yes that's all, that's all i'm up to yeah
1: it's um, very impressive i was telling dasha there's a whole cast and a whole crew and lots of equipment <laughs> there's some white vans there's a yeah
0: several vans some pedo and, vans <laughs> and some camera equipment and uh well i had like a 15 hour day yesterday so i'm feeling a little under the weather jet lagged yeah. yeah um Anna had her cameo she did great yeah i i play a gilane doppelganger <laughs> um
1: acting is hard man i don't even have any lines i just like stand in the cold for two (laughs) seconds and i'm just like oh this is like what method acting
0: is (laughs) acting is hard it takes a lot out of you it's a big sacrifice and you don't get it back no no you you can regenerate it but you don't it does take
1: with a lot of self-care you have to like get a hotel room do a face mask basically get some like chinese woman to shave the calluses off your feet that's why actors are so tortured yeah they really are they
0: are possessed
1: it's like a meta commentary
0: yeah right
1: they're all possessed
0: by demons (laughs) (laughs) they have to like give up something of themselves to inhabit a state of being yeah and they have to do it over and over and over
1: yeah no dasha did like a 15 hour day i did like a 10 minute shoot at best and i was so like exhausted from (laughs) it afterward and i like came home and collapsed and Eli was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" And I was like, "I've been working all day, okay." By which I mean, like, (laughs) sitting in the white van, like double parked, and like fly eye or whatever, and like snacking on like goldfish crackers, edamame (laughs) chips, or something. Uh, Iran retaliated. Oh, they did. Yeah, they. What did they? They shot some missiles into a U.S. base in in Iraq. Iraq. It was the same base. The um from which certain offensives were launched i don't know and but they didn't kill anybody no no so people were like this is a testament to iran's might and restraint that they didn't inflict any true carnage but, but made that, their
0: point anyway that ukrainian plane went down
1: yeah no there's allegedly this report sure. that i just saw that i won't speculate on
0: about this ukrainian passenger jet that it was shot down in above tehran yeah I just read a Bloomberg thing about um, a Bloomberg opinion piece about how we're closest we're closer to nuclear war. We're we're the closest we've been to nuclear war since the Cuban missile crisis. Right. Which I don't, I mean, I think we've been on a consistent brink of nuclear war. Really. I don't think that's a risk that I've never felt has been especially mitigated to be honest.
1: Yeah. I, I like the thing that this economist guy, Tyler Cohen said to Eric Weinstein, where he was like, Well, you know, the kind of threat possibly exponentially grows in periods of relative calm and becomes somewhat impossible to measure, Mm -hmm. which is true because like, you know, our expectations have not been adjusted. I think we're constantly I mean, it's it's interesting because it it dawned on me that there's no necessity for like a formal declaration of war because we are forever mired and in, in kind of small scale endless war and cyber war on all fronts
0: right we're on a we're engaged in cyber war with our haters every yeah, day, every day <laughs> yeah. but i welcome the nuclear threat because i think it would do us all well to have a little um it would perspective really, on death
1: it would really clarify a lot of people's motives and priorities for sure and totally. um I think, like I tweeted this, and I stand by. It. A lot of people are secretly searching for some major event, yeah, to give their lives new meaning and clarity. And that's a r- rather bleak proposal because it means that, like, a lot of carnage can happen on a mass scale. Mm-hmm. But people are dying for some kind of external input, yeah, that they hope will for spring history them into to
0: sort act. of provide a narrative yeah and to sort things that people can hang on to that's like why i think people are so um why the draft conversation has been so front and center is because like people love to imagine that they'll be like called to duty because no one has anything no one has any duties to be called to
1: yeah that that, that (laughs) they'll be like miraculously sprung From their daily routine of like checking their phone every ten minutes and like ordering food on seamless and fighting with haters on Twitter to Mm -hmm. like uh
0: valiantly serve to be soldiers. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Some like morally (laughs) the fantasy fantasy
0: of the of the draft as like expressing some kind of longing for for meaning. Yeah. Or structure even. What else happened?
1: um a lot though it's all again fairly mundane and anticlimactic Justin Bieber announced that he has Lyme disease mm. and then Avril Lavigne endorsed
0: came out and, <laughs> in solidarity yeah uh we talked about Lyme recently yeah uh I'm sure he does <laughs> it seems to be a disease that afflicts um celebs
1: <laughs> he's he's like confusing his early onset dementia that's like was brought on by right. taking too many hard drugs at too early of an age right? for the autoimmune effects of advanced Lyme disease. He's just trying to become a Hadid. Yeah. I think celebs just feel tired and they think they, yeah. they <laughs> have Lyme disease. This is, I'm going to get to, to Christopher Lash yet again yeah. later in the pod, but oh. this is what he basically said that, that, um, th- you know, leftists have a tendency to see everything in terms of like, economic and material imperatives which is a, a, an accurate but reductive uh interpretation of the picture like mm-hmm. it's not the whole picture because there's also this way that value and meaning has been lost in, in a way that's maybe interdependent with economic decline but not solely dependent on it mm-hmm. so in to make a long story short in other words rich people are also miserable sure. because it's the war of all against all mm-hmm. you can no longer count on rich people to uh abide by a certain um to have like a certain joie de vivre or noblesse oblige they're also stewing in their like atomized misery right so you know the most of us are like preparing for a draft and then rich people are all getting diagnosed with lyme disease <laughs> even though they have no risk of being drafted justin beaver should pull an elvis presley and Preemptively
0: join the, the non-existent. Yeah, <laughs> right. They're looking. It's like fibromyalgia or something that, like, yeah, people are in so much pain that we like invent these sort of bourgeois diseases.
1: Yeah, the, the, the like holy trinity. It's um, fibromyalgia, morgellons. What's morgellons? Mor- or whatever, and um, Lyme. It's the thing that Joni Mitchell had. I think we talked about it. It's like when weird kind of like felt like fibers grow through your skin, and it causes like a lot of chronic pain, right. and it's very
0: unclear whether it's a real disease or not. Right. And the chronic pain is, is psychic. Yeah. But you like, medicalize it. Yeah. Because there's no reason for you to be in pain if you're like affluent and comfortable. And yeah. Yet, and yet you still suffer so it must be fibromyalgia yeah it's because they
1: uh they tore down the forest and built a parking lot or whatever Joni <laughs> Mitchell
0: said <laughs> it's because all the koalas burned it down yeah. in Australia
1: yeah Ugh. Oh. that makes me really sad I know I feel like such a piece of shit because they're like all these I- Iraqi and Iranian civilians are like under fire and I'm like but
0: what about the koalas yeah, they're so that, cute you see that kangaroo hugging that lady yeah <laughs>
1: what about the marsupials we don't have them anywhere else no th- they don't exist anywhere but in australia and new zealand yeah um yeah i don't know S- uh, somebody dm'd me today asking when we were going to do our australian Ooh. red scare tour mm-hmm.
0: Okay, do we
1: have to? I mean, what's the flight
0: time, 23 hours? It's a far flight. To I, could, see. I could stop by Thailand.
1: Yeah, you can stop. <laughs> you can make a pit stop in Thailand. I was like, I don't know if I want to go to Australia and see like a bunch of uh, kind of alternate universe American townies yeah. and singed koalas and kangaroos.
0: Yeah, I don't want to meet the Australian Anna and Dasha. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also there's... Dasha, there's also there's Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, right? And like they're all very yeah. far apart. It's like not an easy place to hit the road in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the, there's like a lot of distance. I feel like the Australian Anna and Dasha are like uh, formerly a formerly mustachioed Azerbaijani girl who got laser and like some Ukrainian that got sex trafficked and ended up working in like. <laughs> the service industry <laughs> bizarro Anna and Dasha. they're like slightly more tanned yeah <laughs> and wearing senso shoes they're also alcoholics. yeah
0: that, that that part stays the same
1: yeah hanging out on bondi
0: beach Is that how, you don't say bondi <laughs> I, I don't know it's I like houston houston um it's not it's not off the table for me but it's not on my high on my priority list. Our our first priority is to the UK. Obviously. The UK, yeah,
1: that'll be fun.
0: We're trying to meet some Mancunian lads, some blokes. I'm less enthused, but yeah, o- open to it. Yeah, there's there's many blokes in the sea. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, that'd be a fun uh, tour diary. We can get Leia to come with us. Yeah. <laughs> Like the simple life. I've been watching the simple life. Yeah. How's um, that going? It's good. I like to do ketamine while I watch it. Um, but then I've uh, discovered watching it sober that it feels like ketamine because it's like this sort of first wave of reality television yeah. where they haven't quite figured out what it is yet or how to structure it. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of mm, trying to use like almost a sitcom structure. And there's like a narrator, but the editing is really bizarre and all these, there's all these like twank sound effects. Um, in season two, they they go on like a road trip across uh-huh. America and like meet normal people. Um, but there's no real like, n- it's like them trying to construct a narrative out of these like very chaotic, like um, non-linear uh, images, basically.
1: Yeah, that's sort of like what the Kardashians picked up on where they like inserted um, heavy-handed, overdetermined plot arcs into this like kind of, reservoir of whatever like assorted random images of like kim picking at a salad yeah um, it's the editing this is crazy really <laughs> i've never watched the simple life does it have like those kind of like classic reality tv insets of them against a background talking about their experiences no, no, oh, okay no. so it's like it's
0: it's much more bizarre than that it's like they're the they're trying to like get back to Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. There's one episode where they dress up like sheriffs. They like go to the police department in some like hick town and dress up like sheriffs, and they go to the prison and they're like talking to the prisoners mm-hmm. and stuff. It's wild. It's worth watching. Definitely. It's like browsers light. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Ultra Bang Bros. Check light. it out. Yeah, minus the hole. No hole. No. Holes. But Paris looks great. Yeah, it's like really. She's really in her prime.
1: Yeah, she probably hasn't aged that much. She looks, you know, she doesn't have the glow. No, she looks maybe a little weathered. But I really, I really have a lot of respect for Paris Hilton. Me too. Because she bowed out of the game at the right time. She understood that it's better to be warm rather than hot. Mm. And she, I don't mean physically. I mean, yeah, kind of ideologically or whatever. And she like hasn't manufactured any
0: autoimmune disorders no like rich people or want to do she really just sort of rescinded nikki hilton has a loafer line she does mm-hmm.
1: she's like kelly Benseman. what's <laughs> what's the line are the loafers good they
0: look fine i saw them when i was uptown at like a loafer store
1: what, what's the brand uh, i forgot i don't know she's like taking the spot vacated by ivanka trump
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think she's had it for years oh okay they seem decent flat heeled flat. Okay. Like flat kind of like, um, lounging loaf, like rich people, like loafers for people to wear in the house for tall, rich women for tall, rich women. Exactly.
1: I was, I rewatched, um, wall street the other day Hmm. and I noticed that in that movie, which stars Charlie Sheen and uh, Michael Douglas, both five foot nine Kings Mm -hmm. who are perennially lying about their height. Actually, Charlie Sheen does not lie about his height, but Michael Douglas sure as hell does. Um, daryl hannah's in that movie and she's like six one or something and Mm. she in all the shots where she's like next to michael douglas or charlie sheen she's wearing sensible flats
0: Mm. and i'm like damn you really (laughs) had to like and they're like standing on like an apple box yeah they're wearing like lifted shoes
1: that was actually my favorite part of doing the cameo in your movie was when the uh the film crew put me on the box. I felt like Al Pacino. Yeah, because you were too short. I'm too to short. The they, they made me sit. I felt like the Ikea monkey. I felt so <laughs> pampered and fussed over. They made me sit on like some sort of foam box yeah behind, like on a tall stool behind a, a diner counter. Like Gloria Allred sitting on that phone box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: let's get Anna an I, apple
1: box. Yeah, I felt like the <laughs> princess in the pea or whatever that's my favorite fairy tale yeah mine too (laughs) she's so frail i know her bones are so brittle she can feel the pee through Mm -hmm. a thousand casper mattresses
0: (laughs) (laughs) and that's how we know she's a princess that's how i am a princess because i can't even open a door i know even though i've fallen from grace and i'm living in you know not ideal living conditions i know that if if I had to feel a pee under a castor mattress, I could.
1: Yeah. You have to restore it would, it would yourself to your former <laughs> grandeur.
0: By displaying my um, supreme weakness and vulnerability. Yeah. And uh, what's a hemophilia? What's the disease? Yeah. That, hemophilia. that yeah.
1: should. I can't believe that hasn't made a c- comeback. Right. Yeah. That's um. the, the, the Romanov prince had it. They all did. No, the just the boy did, I think. But it ran in their family. Oh, I see. So, when the Romanovs were executed in that basement, he really bled the fuck he out, really which is so dark. Yeah.
0: Uh, Markle uh, and Harry. Oh, right. They left the royal family or, yeah. like, also stepped back from their duties.
1: Yeah. Harry came back from college and was like, Mom, I don't want you to pay rent anymore. <laughs> Me and
0: Megan are just yeah. going to start our own life.
1: I just assume now that Princess Di has been dead for, like, two decades or whatever, that. Um, yeah, why didn't Queen Princess
0: Elizabeth <laughs> is his mom? <laughs> yeah. Why didn't Princess Di get to step out? Step out where? On the royal family.
1: Yeah, she sh- she w- she was dying. She was chomping at the bit. Well, she was pregnant with that.
0: Uh, oh yeah, Dodi Al-Fayed. Yeah. yeah, they should have. They should have had the option yeah why does markle get to you know they're just gonna start like a reality show
1: i know i well i read somewhere that she had a reality contract pending
0: yeah so that's what it is it's like yeah. life after Buckingham palace yeah or whatever
1: something like that should have been diana i i liked candace owens's spin on it mm-hmm. the that, that this uh, candace came out of the woodwork yeah like azalea bank style uh-huh. lashing out at Meghan markle What'd and, she say? And was like, this bitch always wanted to be an actress. Don't pretend that this was not in her repertoire the whole time. She just wanted to be catapulted to fame and then wanted to use that fame to like leverage her compounding fame in right. Tinseltown or whatever. And I was like, yes.
0: It's, I respect it.
1: I do too. Who wants to be a member of a dying and decaying family that literally nobody in the international community respects? Yeah. Who's
0: like a laughing stock?
1: yeah why would you want to be part of the royals it's like he gets to keep his like money and assets yeah it's not like he's like
0: um, destitute yeah it's not like he's gonna be like dispossessed right but they get to fuck off and
1: move to LA he can be like he can feel like a proper David Beckham British chef like mm-hmm. wearing a tracksuit and juicing in LA <laughs> He can get dinner with the Beckhams at sir <laughs>
0: Good for them. Whatever. Give Prince Andrew a reality show too all right. Yeah, he, she's he's he's the real. Uh <laughs> Um Grimes is pregnant. Grimes is pregnant. This is a big, yeah. Celeb heavy day. Yeah. There's a lot of celebs in the news. Uh with Elon Musk's baby, of course.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, Comes as no surprise, I guess.
1: It comes as somewhat of a surprise. Yeah. Because A, she seems like a total career woman, and B, she seems like a total anorexic.
0: Yeah, you think the BMI is too low.
1: Yeah, to conceive. Sure, sure. Well, he probably scienced it. He scienced it, yeah. He like
0: IVF'd her. Yeah. She says she's pregnant, but really there's like a, a clone of her and musk like growing in a test tube somewhere yeah that's what she means by pregnancy.
1: yeah like a brain floating in a vat <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's gonna be a really anhedonic baby it's <laughs> gonna have a lot of emotional problems definitely um I the pictures that she released with the hard pregnancy nipples the nips don't lie
0: yeah that's true that's how you know
1: yeah but and then she had like what looked like an open heart surgery scar? What's that about? Uh I don't know. It was like a a, a long chest scar. Like she she looked like um you know, the scar it was like looked like something like a a fifty six year old union worker would have <laughs> from like Baltimore. I was like Grimes, you're like an it girl pop diva. Um how far long is she? Uh, I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I mean, I'm assuming it's like after the first trimester because it's bad etiquette exactly. and bad not, omen to, to announce before that.
0: Oh, yeah. What is that scar?
1: I don't know. It's like really weird. Does anyone know? <laughs> I feel about Grimes's pregnancy the way that I felt about Audrey Gelman's pregnancy. I was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. How do I one up this? I have to get pregnant with like Peter Thiel or Jeff <laughs> Bezos's baby. <laughs>
0: I have to extract that semen somehow. She said being knocked up is a very feral and warlike state of being. I bet. She's the type who's going to eat her own placenta. Oh, calling that right now. Unless Musk eats it.
1: Yeah. He's going
0: to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to lightly saute it. Then they're going to like drain the baby of its blood and inject it into their own veins. Yeah. Forever. Creepy. I was never a Grimes fan.
1: Um, I was not either, really. I do kind of respect that she did her... I saw Grimes play in, like, mm. 2010 or 2012. Back when I was, like, a, a shitty honorary member of the Brooklyn DIY scene, which is, to say, a groupie hanger-on of my yeah. boyfriend at the time. And she was, like, you know tooling around and some sort of synth thing it was all very like anticlimactic but and everybody around me was like whoa this girl's gonna
0: be huge she's not yeah she's not much of a performer
1: no i don't know i mean that's the only time i've seen her perform that one album with like the weird squiggly bleepity blue art on the cover was fine
0: yeah yeah <laughs> not for me yeah, me neither. But, you know, congratulations. Congrats, Grimes. Yeah. Congrats, uh, Chloe Sevigny. Yeah, she's preg too. Ger- uh, Geriactic pregnancy, I found out, is what it's called when you get pregnant after 35. Geriactic? Geri- or- or, or geriatric
1: geriatric pregnancy oh, oof, that sounds right horrible. how rude that sounds really rude is that what we have to
0: call it yeah who made that up <laughs> that's yeah.
1: crippling okay this furthers my commitment to get pregnant in yeah. 2020 so that i'm technically
0: 34 when i not geriatric yeah yeah, yeah after 35 it's considered geriatric um yeah oof. but good for her i guess medically due to the like increased risks or whatever. Yeah, but that nowadays are considerably diminished anyway, because yeah, Chloe's 45. I'm very I'm happy for her. Yeah,
1: I'm very Turns out you
0: can't have it all ladies.
1: No, I know. I'm very like proud and impressed. At all the ladies who decided to have the baby. Yeah, because like you really plan have, A. Yeah, plan a <laughs> you have like no there's no necessity to have a baby.
0: Uh, you can just have an animal it can temporarily fill your void. There's a biological necessity to have a baby and maybe a spiritual one, but yeah, yeah, certainly they don't owe it to anyone to be pregnant.
1: Yeah. But that's like cool. Mazel Chloe to Chloe. How old is Grimes?
0: She's like 30 or something. 31, 31. Um, Yeah. And, uh, Chloe's pregnant with the karma. Gallerists the director of karma galleries baby yeah whatever his name is i don't know it sounded
1: like serbian or albanian or something i just glossed over a real
0: downtown baby yeah it's gonna be like the dime square baby um chloe 70 unfollowed me on instagram okay a while ago a while ago (laughs) (laughs) and i forgive her yeah i don't follow me if if i could
1: (laughs) she's a pregnant woman now we forgive all kind of uh she's glowing yeah
0: but she did say bye, Dasha, to me at Sundance in front of a bunch of people okay. so that they all knew that we knew each other. So, Oh, that's great. Uh, thanks for that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she said bye, Dasha, and then hit the unfollow button.
0: <laughs> like, um, big fan. Big fan of her work. Uh, yeah, you can have it all. You can be an it girl and have a baby be the queen of downtown and you can have a baby you can be an it girl with an it baby that's gonna be a really cool baby yeah uh i wonder what she, i hope she gives it a normal name
1: yeah carmen what's her name cameron you know, Diaz Grimes is gonna name her baby yeah, she's gonna name her baby retarded tesla, they're gonna name it tesla yeah.
0: <laughs> carmen diaz named her baby what radix oh fuck
1: what is that <laughs> i don't know it's like some sort of math theorem she really is, no it's not but she she has a baby with one of those madden guys from what band were they in uh good charlotte Good charlotte those guys are like the um they're like this whatever like parasitic species of fish that latches on to other fish like they just like swim the ocean of hollywood and attach themselves to like successful beautiful women and the women yeah. will let them do it because the pickings the, are so slim. Yeah. And their values depreciating. Yeah. And they're like the last vestige of like old school. Masculinity. Oh, Radix is a girl. Yeah. It's a girl.
0: That's that surprises me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very pop punk name. You know, I'm just going to name my kid black flag
1: <laughs> <laughs> or joy division or something. Something that's like based on a t-shirt of a band I've never listened to. Right. X. Yeah. Malcolm
0: X (laughs) um do you have baby names Anna um no you've never
1: no because I can't be one of those girls who's like uh you know I'm gonna name my kid Vivian or Stella or something like shiny and precocious it's just like too embarrassing for me Stella's, I've always thought it was a it's nice It's a nice name. name. I think that's Harvey Keitel's daughter's name. I guess I'd give my kids family names. I want to give my kids the most kind of generic, unassuming names ever to show them that, that they are nothing but kind of a particle <laughs> in the greater cosmos and they shouldn't name get your kid a dust. Yeah. Like, <gasps> don't get any ideas about your these exceptionalism. Are my, <laughs> these are
0: my kids dust and worm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I like the name Honor yeah I like virtue names
1: yeah but oh. this we have a precedent for this in Russian culture so it, it's mm. less embarrassing because we have like for example uh Viera. Vera yeah which is faith yeah and Nadezhda which is hope yeah that's actually my grandmother's name Nadezhda and her sister is Vera
0: oh beautiful beautiful yeah Viera is my um cousin's name mm. um that's true well as we do as well in I mean more so in the UK I guess but like prudence yeah hope stuff like that uh i i
1: went to grade school with um these two kind of unwashed hippie children with long hair who were like gendered indiscernible called cadence and case or cadence and pace sorry i <laughs> fucked that up Patence. cadence cadence and
0: pace the the, the dad was clearly a, some sort of musician yeah. intellectual type yeah or like a poet that's rough i went to high school with a beautiful hippie girl named Saffron. <laughs>
1: That's nice. It's like the Persian spice. I'm naming my kid Soleimani <laughs> after the most virtuous martyr, peace be on him.
0: I'm just gonna name it Martyr. Yeah. Jihad. That's J- a good name. Ooh. That it's a beautiful name for a girl. Yeah. <laughs> um I really I'm it but it it depends on the last name, obviously. Yeah. Are you gonna hyphenate? your child's name or oh god no you're just gonna let it have the father yeah unfortunately no of course
1: i mean not unfortunately it just you know uh i would like the legacy of my father to live on so i'm probably if it's uh, you know if Mm. it's it's, so what does ralphie say in the sopranos if it's a boy we'll name him after me if it's a girl we'll name him after you to remind her what a cock slobbing whore your
0: mother was (laughs) and then he kills her oh man <laughs> yeah i've always figured i would well because i have one of those i have ne- necrosova yeah which is a feminine variation on necrosov yeah so i wouldn't i mean i just don't it you
1: can't matter. do anything too frivolous because it's like
0: too much well i would have it take the father's name regardless. right yeah so we're trad here we're, we're all trad here but honors i think honor is a lovely name and it's kind of unisex
1: yeah it's unisex and it like bodes well for the kid i think with girls you want to give them a name like laura or gloria that's like basically uh honorable and historical and sexy without being
0: slutty yeah exactly eugene's girlfriend is named honor oh right yeah um so hopefully it's not weird when i when i name my kid (laughs) after my friend's uh young girlfriend
1: morality and
0: neoliberalism (laughs) (laughs) you name your kid neoliberal yeah why not Mm. (laughs) marks
1: marks yeah (laughs) trotsky hegel
0: we'll just spitball this is 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 the episode we're just gonna spitball some names move on good for you chloe chloe is probably gonna give it um i my prediction is that she'll give it a nice waspy name because she's from connecticut oh right yeah i don't think she'll go to she's always had good taste I think yeah she's not gonna go zany with that's her. one thing we can't fault her for i can you know i wouldn't fault her for anything except the unfollow yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's okay no hard feelings um what
1: Mazda. else <laughs> oh, what else is going on oh paul krugman oh yeah came out officially as a pedophile, as a pedophile. <laughs> Read the tweet. He's he's um also taking the the spot prematurely vacated by uh Supreme Martyr, Jeffrey Epstein. Mm-hmm. Um he tweeted this to his I don't know how many followers, probably hundreds of thousands. Well, I'm on the phone with my computer security service and as I understand it someone compromised my IP address and is using it to download child pornography. I might just be a random target, but this could be an attempt to cue in on me. And then, it's an ugly world out there. And then he added, the Times is now on the case. (laughs) Um, And I was just sitting there like, there's no way this is going to backfire. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That child porn, was it mine? Yeah, he's like, "Um, what's his name from the who? Um, I was was just doing research. Yeah. Yeah. I was just doing research for this Freakonomic-style documentary about... (laughs) At the elite world. pedophile cabals and uh, i stumbled upon this cachet of, of child porn <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i was doing research
1: on um how
0: much i like to watch a child porn. yeah
1: I, I i was so inspired by the netflix luca magnata documentary <laughs>
0: uh god he's like ancient he's 66 okay so he should know better
1: so he doesn't know how to he doesn't know how to use a computer obviously yeah the times is on the case. Which is fine, but why would you I mean, I think probably the best case scenario is that he anticipated that some people might try to like
0: cue in on him. Yeah. Whatever that means.
1: And so he had to like preemptively strike. Right. Like the United States yeah. did in Iran. <laughs> yeah. But that's a bad look. You should never seed into the minds of your followers, both yeah. supporters and haters, that you are in any way affiliated with pedophilia. <laughs> yeah. Even if he's exonerated down the line, people will always now associate Paul Krugman with not only with being kind of a bottom barrel centrist, but also being like a pedophile. A pedophile.
0: (laughs) Downloading child pornography. Jared Fogel truther. I've been hacked. Yeah. By the way, if anyone looks at my web history. I'd like to set the record straight and say that I've been hacked. (laughs) Oh, I was looking at that as a joke. (laughs) That's, those are my final remarks. Don't go on my computer.
1: Yeah, oh God. And then when he tweeted something else, like he deleted the tweet and then he tweeted something like kind of even more. He said, deleted original tweet. Times thinks it may have been a scam. Anyway, we'll have more security in the
0: future. That's that's very boomerish. A yeah, what big boomer energy emanating from that one. Also, like why is he putting his employer
1: on the case? I know. <laughs> it's not their job. It's not <laughs> the Times the
0: Times' job to crack pedophile rings. <laughs> to find out what Krugman's been downloading. I want to <laughs> see a his search history. Um Yeah. My I'm not a pedophile shirt is raising a lot of questions that seems to be <laughs> answered by my my t-shirt already that's a good merch idea actually <laughs> i'm not a pedophile i'm not a
1: pedophile it's kind of like that i'm with stupid of 2020 <laughs> he's
0: a pedophile
1: i i can't imagine that paul crewman is actually a pedophile because he seems so like um dull and uninspired and not perverse at right. all right but who knows? As I've said before, it's a, a
0: sophisticated, uh, pedophilia is. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an unconventional <laughs> taste. It's an unconventional taste. It's the, you know, um, there's a sophistication there. Yeah. The, not endorsing it, I just think it's, you know, a symptom of high, you know, perversion is a symptom of like some kind of nuanced mental processing or something. Yeah. Some like psycho. I don't know. Some psychosexual things are at work.
1: Yeah, no. One of the funniest things about the internet is how these kind of like older boomer figures perennially like tell on themselves. Like they they preemptively alert us to their potential flirtations with pedophilia, or they uh, post a screenshot where their tabs are open to like tranny
0: porn or something <laughs> like that. Did you? Yeah. Or they Google Mia Farrow's black daughter yeah. and wish her a happy birthday. Um. Did you read the latest Sam Chris thing? No, not yet. Um, it's sort of about how youth has been like co-opted by old people mm. because we're all in a state of like arrested development. It's great. But he t- he has a like, nice bit about Epstein and that and how like um, kid fuckers are like permanently stuck in like a state of adolescence. Yeah, and that's sort of the impetus there for fucking teens. <laughs> yeah they, they themselves are teens
1: yeah yeah i mean i i said this about jeffrey epstein you know he had he had this reputation for being this kind of Svengali wonderkind who brought together all these like assorted fascinating people f- fascinating mm-hmm. extraordinary like the the most interesting men on the planet and you know i remember i i read aloud that text exchange that allegedly came from him that a friend of the pod sent me yeah and like you get the sense that he's fraternizing with teenage girls, not only because he's horny for teenage girls, but because he's on the same emotional level as teenage girls.
0: He's stuck in, um, (laughs) right. Because of like the sixties, because of the sexual revolution, because of the like nostalgia boomers feel for like their youth being so connected to like this like countercultural moment. Yeah. This like rebellious, like, political thing yeah they're like can't like like the way millennials can't get out of like junior high school and high school they can't like separate themselves from who they were in the 60s
1: yeah and it's it's really funny because his his two poles of influence were basically these kind this whole like this coterie of like uh, economists and financiers and social scientists that he uh, amassed in the course of his like fraudulent philanthropic research and and whatever and then teen girls yeah
0: (laughs) the click yeah (laughs) oh god (laughs) uh they're not uh news came out today that the the video surveillance footage from his cell was in fact destroyed okay by whom we
1: don't know of course um
0: apparently it was an accident I mean, um, everything's an accident did you see? Days. Did you see the note that he wrote in his cell? No. 60 Minutes did a special where they like went inside the cell, um, which looks like there was indeed a, a struggle. Um, mm-hmm. And then they released the photos of his neck and stuff, but there was a note that he wrote in his cell that said um, uh, that the, the guards locked him in the shower for an hour. Mm-hmm. The food they served him was burned. And then he said, giant bugs crawling on my hands, no fun. <laughs> Which is the most like Jewishy note? <laughs> yeah, and juvenile. Oh my god, the food at MCC—you wouldn't believe the food was burnt, Anna. <laughs> and I was in the shower; they locked me in. And then the bugs—oh, you wouldn't believe the size of these bugs, Anna. They were crawling. <laughs> the bugs were crawling on my hands. I nearly <laughs> fainted. Oh, no fun, no fun. <laughs> What's his handwriting like? Mm, bad. Normal, not like, I don't know, overtly evil or anything. Okay,
1: just like kind of milk toast. Yeah. Am I saying that like correctly? Like a normal
0: man's scrawl.
1: There was a lot of fabric in that cell. Too much yeah. fabric for one man. Seriously, why so many
0: sheets? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you could It looked like an Eckhouse of show or something. <laughs> the orange there sheets. They are just like scraps of fabric. I didn't know the sheets were orange too. I I didn't either. What's
0: the like... Psychology behind orange being a prison, prison color. I don't like, know. That's I there.
1: thought it. W- I I always just assumed it would be good for detection. Like if prisoners escape, you can shoot them down easier because they they make very obvious targets running through the gray and drab
0: wilderness that typically surrounds detention centers, right? Or deserts or whatever. Yeah, they'll stand out. Yeah, and reds to like empowering. Or yeah, something.
1: I don't know. That's a good question. We should look into like. This.
0: In Europe, you know, all the cigarettes are like debranded and they're that color. Mm-hmm. They're like a brown green color. Mm-hmm. The cigarette packs and someone told me once that that was like determined via like psychological research that that color was the most like repulsive to most people. I see. Okay. So it's meant to like deter you from wanting to smoke is the idea. So I wonder what like why orange Yeah. is the is the color for prisoners.
1: I don't know. We'll, we'll look into this and report back on the next (laughs) one. If anybody wants to jump into the DMS and mansplain, just Mm -hmm. kidding, please don't.
0: (laughs) We'll ignore it anyway.
1: Yeah. Uh, I like when I still maintain, I like when men mansplain things to me, I don't, I don't interpret it as a renouncement of my agency. They furnish me with the bare facts and information. And then I am left to, uh, draw my own conclusions and yeah. make it into like an artistic project
0: exactly. to use your feminine wiles yeah. to interpret the for infer- the my feminine intuition yeah men so diligently and technically amass, amass and accumulate. then impart to us it's yeah. great
1: what's the problem
0: no problems gender relations are just fine <laughs> yeah i love being explained to
1: me too a great advantage um uh, what else uh the, the elizabeth wortzel is oh yeah dead right r.i.p. r.i.p. you ever read prozac nation i did it was one of the first books that i remember sentiently reading as a teen
0: yeah um i think i think i would have been clinically depressed regardless mm-hmm. but i do remember vividly reading that book and then Internalizing its voice mm-hmm. and that definitely contributing to like a very a very early onset depression when I was probably like eleven. Yeah, but I think in retrospect, I feel like I just like read a book, <laughs> yeah, and then like internalized, yeah, like retrofitted, yeah, and the like, insights to yeah, suit your like personal narrative. Of, yeah. yeah, I um, guess I just came off the assembly line, broken, mom. <laughs> were my parent, my immigrant parents like, what is going like, on? And I'm
1: like to, Yeah,
0: and I'm like, I'm bad <laughs> and sick, mom. <laughs> I'm eleven and I'm gonna start cutting now. <laughs> Cause this seemed like a viable
1: brand.
0: <laughs> but she really, you know, spearheaded the confessional
1: lit genre like no other she was
0: like the original one to do that
1: i think prozac nation holes Lip through this and jane magazine were like the holy trinity of every depressed loner girl biding their time in the suburbs before Mm -hmm. they could move to new york and take a crack at being an ink girl
0: yeah (laughs) take a crack at smoking crack (laughs) um totally i mean i'm a little young for jane mag yeah you are Yeah. Daria, Daria, that was whole kind of, of like for me. depressed
1: anhedonic Delia's catalog aesthetic that yeah, proliferated in the
0: late '90s, early aughts. Ghost World, obviously. Yeah, that
1: was another big influence. um Which
0: is it, now in making my movie, I'm like, wow, I, I am realizing how much I was affected by Ghost World, actually.
1: Yeah, no, like, the tone,
0: tonally and everything. I'm like, this movie had a tre- tremendous impact on my life.
1: Yeah. it's a great movie no it's i haven't seen it actually i should probably there's two movies that i haven't seen that i'm ashamed to say i haven't seen that's ghost world and eyes wide shut what yeah seriously
0: anna i know you should watch eyes wide shut i know i'm educating myself as soon as possible but ghost world too ghost world's great it also like steve buscemi's in it right yeah um i think it also kind of established a fondness or like proliferated a fondness i have for like losers
1: yeah losers loners female objection yeah mm-hmm. totally <laughs> <laughs> two nubile young women putting their impaired intellects together to and <laughs> the, toward the formidable task of problem solving making sense of the world whatever exactly um
0: and then i there's a photo of me at the beach when i'm like 13 and i'm wearing a sex pistols t-shirt mm-hmm. and i have like purple hair mm-hmm. kind of poorly dyed more like eggplant Did your parents color. let you dye your hair i box dyed it okay um, so it was, it's more of like an eggplant color than like uh-huh. a real like manic panic kind of right. purple um and i have like long bangs like and bright and beach purple kind of yeah. yeah and i have like really long bangs and i'm like really pale and really unhappy to be at the beach and i'm reading um bitch in praise of <laughs> difficult women the like the, the next with wurtzel book yeah
1: <laughs> I think yeah like I think Elizabeth Wurtzel is yes somebody on the sub pointed out of a good writer but a very limited writer and that her books pertain to a very specific age and a very yeah. specific time. Yeah. Gen X. Gen X. Teenagers women who are now in their late twenties, early thirties really identified
0: with the Wurzel thing, the conversation she started.
1: Yeah. I feel about Wurzel the same way I feel about Salman Rushdie, a wonderful author to discover when you're like 12, 13, 14, who does not outlive that period. It's a person that you can like fondly keep on the shelf and not really have much afterthoughts about. Um, but in hindsight, what Elizabeth Wurtzel did basically ended up what every basically ended up being what every woman is doing now, which is like yeah. confe- confessional feminist lit with a tinge of like drug-addled, uh, sexually tra- traumatized abjection. We have heard a thank slash
0: blame for for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, like literally everybody. I think her and Chris Kraus though. I. I like Chris Krause a little bit more because she she was had a little bit more critical distance
0: yeah she at least was trying to theorize on some level whereas Wurzel was navel gazing perhaps a bit more
1: yeah I forgot who said this but I was reading the Wikipedia entry for Elizabeth Wurzel and uh, there was a critic who said that you know it it, had Miss Wurzel not been so sympathetic to toward herself we may have been more sympathetic toward her and that's kind of the impression that you come away with. I actually kind of skimmed, like, sped, read Prozac Nation yesterday. Oh, wow. Because I was like, I don't remember. Did you I, have a copy? Or did I you? found a free PDF on the oh, internet, cool. yeah. I don't... I, do, I have really no distinct memory of reading this book except for the chapter where she gives the accidental blowjob to the
0: guy in London. Uh, that's different. The only part I remember is when she gets... Uh, fingered while listening to Bruce Springsteen.
1: Yeah, that's another like that's There are these on. Like, punctuating yeah. episodes of like sexual objection. Um I I feel like this genre has been kind of mostly bad yeah. for women unless you are one of those few writers like Chris Kraus and I think Natasha Stagg is actually like this in that she writes in this confessional kind of mm-hmm. pseudo confessional genre but basically transcends it because She's making larger cultural commentaries and critiques. Um that are like impressive on their own.
0: Cat, she's Cat Marnell. Cat Marnell too. Is yeah. Is my fave of that specific genre maybe. And we should go cat on the pond. I'd love to. Um her memoir was a lot of fun, but Cat Marnell's great cuz she's like like Wurzel's like depressed at Harvard, but Cat Marnell's like fucking on crack. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and they're both the children of shrinks, right? Yeah, I think so
0: yeah it's like the
1: the formula for being a new york it girl who is a privileged child of shrinks hmm there's like take up your pen yeah there's not a ton of them but there's enough of them that it creates a decent sample size definitely her marnell solkowitz
0: uh who
1: else i think that's about it
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah th- there's, a a size. there's a trend. there's a trend
1: um and and like you know it's like a lot of like coddling your narcissism and calling it art i'm not opposed to narcissism in practice i think all writers like all actresses have to be basically monstrous people on some level yeah uh like we're all they have to
0: reckon with a monstrously sized void at least
1: yeah and (laughs) they have to kind of reckon i think they reckon with what for example like political liberals don't which is their own capacity for evil right their own capacity to torture and manipulate people Mm -hmm. while pretending to be tortured and manipulated on some level
0: their own like narcissistic depths.
1: Yeah. Which is what Wurzel does best. But my issue with her is that it's not even grandiose narcissism that like yields something bigger than herself. It's this kind of like very like low level, low stakes, unambitious narcissism that's concerned primarily with its own milieu. It's like over-invested in a certain social class and is therefore self-defeating
0: well her you know it's her depression whereas like why fisher's writing is so valuable is because he like writes about mental illness in a way that is um contextualized in like the fabric of reality yeah no fisher capitalism is actually manic depressive
1: yeah, no, Fisher depersonalizes the particular. She particularize particularizes the impersonal, like things that affect us all mm. and makes it like solely her about herself. Right. I have a big issue with like particularization in general when it doesn't serve you know, a, a greater purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this passage in the prologue of Prozac Nation. I don't want to turn this into like a takedown of Wurzel because I really respect and appreciate her on
0: some level. I don't think she would even argue with anything we've said necessarily.
1: Um, uh, There's this passage where she says, and I'm starting to wonder if I might not be one of those people like Anne Sexton or Sylvia Plath who are just better off dead who may live in that bare minimal sort of way for a number of years, may even marry, have kids, create an artistic legacy of sorts, may even be beautiful and enchanting at moments as both of them supposedly were. But in the end, none of that None of the good was any match for the aching, enduring suicidal pain. And here, like she's already boasting, not by implicitly or like explicitly aligning herself with like Anne Sexton or Sylvia Plath, but in assessing their lives in a, in a language that is Im- implicit, like embedded with romantic value, like even bare and minimal or romantic here. Yeah, like they're not. It's like the, the romance of abjection, and. I think her problem is that she suspects all these things about herself that she's like beautiful and enchanting and also very talented in spite of being beautiful mm-hmm. and when the world does in not in spite of being tortured in spite of being tortured yet and when the world doesn't reward her by confirming her suspicions she crumples on the bathroom floor in a chiffon dress because she can't handle the cognitive dissonance between yeah. her kind of subjectivity and the objective outside right. view that confronts right. her
0: um And I mean, my feeling about depression is that I suspect all anyone wants (laughs) what to to be to have their like authentically tortured subjectivity acknowledged and like uh, implied that it is all is a result of their like immense talent
1: yeah no I'm sure of course but like in service of what I mean it's this is the difference between uh, like fame for fame's sake and and fame for a greater purpose even if that purpose is actually false and arbitrary yeah right so I think like somebody like Sontag or Lash was really tortured or even Christopher Hitchens like these are people that were like tortured irascible like uh bilious people yeah and were eventually done in by their irascibility and biliousness but felt that they were serving some greater Purpose on some level, yeah, and
0: even Chris Kraus. Well, they had a point of view outside of like their own suffering, yeah, exactly. They had something that was like urgent and necessary to communicate.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and Mark Fisher is somebody who I think is I find even more sympathetic on some level because he wrote with such like compassion and open mindedness, Mm -hmm. and. Somehow, in spite of writing about almost solely his subjective experience, he never made it about himself. Right. That's a really beautiful gift. that's hard to match. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. We don't know anything really from his writing about his like biography. Yeah. At all.
1: And he's a weird guy because he doesn't really. He's not what you would call a masculine writer. Sontag's a way more masculine writer than Mark Fisher. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't have. Uh, you probably don't have a single female writer for whatever reason who kind of matches fisher's tone which i don't understand i can't make sense of and i feel like depression it's obviously like a chemical and genetic condition on some level like we're both i would say depressed on some level most people we know are depressed yeah and alcoholics i'm 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 medicated now. yeah you're medicated (laughs)
0: yeah
1: um but i think it's also an absence it's a lack of gratitude sure but you you can only have gratitude if you see yourself as a a part of a greater whole and not a a kind of pure self-actualized individual, which is what Elizabeth Wurzel saw herself as on some level.
0: Yeah. I mean, the end of Prozac Nation is very unsatisfying.
1: What happens in the end? Kind Kind of nothing. Nothing, She like
0: learns to endure by like appreciating the little things. You know, if I recall correctly, I remember by the end of it being like what yeah (laughs) oh uh but i think that the kind of gratitude that you're describing is is something more like not just gratitude but a kind of like solidarity yeah and that's why solidarity is such a like touching concept for me because it's about like it isn't merely about like sympathizing with someone else's suffering it's about like making their suffering your own
1: right exactly well empathy i guess empathy, on the most basic level yeah um and it's interesting people were talking about that quote that she had about 9-11 where she kind of likens it she's she talks about feeling nothing and mm-hmm. not understanding what everybody was going on about and kind of likens it to a work of art and it's reminiscent of that Karl heinz stockhausen quote that actually i think tyler cowen brought up recently too um that, that this was like a massive effective piece of of art and she's like right on some level but like i agree with her on like a purely conceptual level but it also and i agree with i i see what stockhausen was doing there he was doing the kind of schlowski thing of making strange the mundane yeah. likening a, a great human catastrophe to a work of art which made it even more kind of bizarre and acute but i don't know if that's what she's doing i think she legitimately maybe like felt nothing
0: yeah but that's <laughs> yeah, I don't think she was extrapolating as she fails to do in Prozac Nation into like a bigger, yeah, a bigger thing.
1: And like her feelings aren't illegitimate; they're valid. No, I Who think a lot of say... people
0: probably, when faced with like immense catastrophe or suffering, do experience a kind of numbness. Yeah, it's like because if you had to feel, you know, you could. I mean, you can't. You it's like
1: that quote that's like attributed to Stalin: "Like mm. uh, one death is a tragedy, a thousand deaths are a statistic, or whatever." Right. Um, but I think, I I feel like Wurzel never became a great writer, not because she doesn't have what it takes, because she clearly did, but because she suffered from this kind of tunnel vision. Yeah,
0: myopic.
1: Yeah. I think that's actually what happened to Chris Krauss, too, because Chris Krauss is such a really kind of, like, incredible top tier writer, but she never escaped that really narrow, stifling semiotext milieu.
0: yeah. Yeah. And ended up becoming like a slum lord or whatever. <laughs> ended up selling the rights to Amazon. Yeah. Um, St- Natasha Stagg posted an excerpt from an interview she yeah. had with Wurzel a few months ago that I will read it part of. Wurzel says, life is full of people behaving in wretched ways that are unacceptable. The only way to get through life is to engage in denial you have to constantly say this isn't happening to me if you don't say this isn't happening to me you will not get through the day if you don't constantly deny your experience you will go crazy so denial is the most human coping mechanism that's it that's the best thing we've got the most essential thing is we deny death I'll paraphrase a little bit. To the extent that we admit to whatever it is, that's the extent to which we don't die of cancer. And also the extent to which we find a person to be married to that we really love as opposed to that isn't good enough. Like everything. For every degree of denial that we avoid, that's the extent to which we have a good life. Which I think is beautiful beautiful and true. And has a kind of like um, sober AA style wisdom of like, you're as sick as your secrets, you know? Yeah, and she's um, basically talking about, like, settling and coming
1: to terms, but rationalizing it in your mind as something positive, which is what all of us do.
0: Yeah. um, And, like, that the only, the only goodness we have to find in our lives will come out of, like, yeah, not engaging in denial or, like, idea, an idea of ourselves as, like, exceptional.
1: <laughs> right, but I think on this count, she's doing a little bit of denial she's doing a racism and imperialism a homophobia <laughs> um she's doing a little bit of denial because her whole strategy as, as a writer was like indulging in pampering her own negative exceptionalism i'm right. the girl with mascara streaking down my face I'm, crumpled on the floor I'm
0: girl interrupted yeah um but that's i mean she wrote Prosec nation when she was 27 yeah you know? so that's a very 27 your old ideal yeah. uh, outlook to have yeah. yeah to like blame other people for for your problems
1: yeah and then she went on to write bitch and then she wrote here and there in like assorted publications yeah. but she didn't really i mean look credit where it's due to write one book to make one movie yeah to release one record is already a tremendous that's feat. all any of us can really yeah. aspire to most people can't
0: do anything
1: <laughs> but i was I, I was talking about this with somebody recently about Adam Driver and everybody as usual is debating not only whether he was hot or not, but whether he was a good actor or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in the former camp. I don't really think much about his hotness, but I do think he's a good actor, but he's incentivized every step of the way to not develop the certain nuances in his acting because he does volume best and volume is what's
0: popular in the market. Yeah, he gets rewarded for yelling. So why would he find another way to express
1: yeah so i think elizabeth Wurzel very much throughout her career suffered from the same problem is that she she peaked
0: too early in some sense she came mm-hmm. out of the gate too strongly yeah there was no incentive for her to diversify or to develop nuance because people wanted then she wrote another memoir about like yeah people want addiction later in life which is like i can't even oh god writing a memoir that young and then having to like re Generate and contextualize a whole nother set like, of experiences re-evaluate. to write another yeah. memoir is like what?
1: It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> um. And you know, like I was thinking about, like you know, like I found wurtzel because I was also like a depressed and intellectually and sexually precocious young girl mm-hmm. who felt like she had no future on some level. But I think about like certain, like certain kind of. I I find her writing to be perfectly good and palatable, but. Uh, I find her outlook on some level to be like weak and undignified and morally reprehensible, yeah. which is harsh, but it's true. Like, you know, the accidental blowjob story, she, she talks about how she goes to London to change her life mm-hmm. in that way that young people always think that they can change their surroundings, that they can outrun.
0: Their yeah. Problems.
1: And, um, the, the kind of detail that stuck out at me in that anecdote was not that she ended up, uh, rebuffing the advances of a guy who offered to sponsor her effectively in exchange for sex and then going to the apartment and sleeping in the kind of basement dungeon cot of another guy who was doing a favor to her friend who was also his ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. she ends up blowing that guy right not the guy that wanted the blow job the guy who sort of took it cuz she was there right. and vulnerable And, but the thing that stuck out at me about that anecdote is that she somehow got a hold of a work visa like a student work visa to go to London, and it's like I don't know how to get a student work visa. That's right. the thing with all these depressed writer girls. They're all secretly very industrious and resourceful <laughs> and calculating and self interested yeah, they're more functional than they they're way more functional. She wrote a book, she got an
0: agent, she got a publisher, yeah, right, like that's no small feat. The real prozac nation um doesn't get out of bed, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, real depressives don't write novels. That's yeah. just
1: the, the fact of it. Um, and she's also a person who, in the based on, like, I'm extrapolating solely they on her... They especially don't write memoirs. <laughs> they don't write memoirs, yeah. Um, but she she does this classic female thing that I see women on the internet doing now. There's this whole kind of genre of um, negative conf- confessionalism that's popping up now, of girls basically sharing their
0: most... Uh, horrific atrocious sexual encounters Mm -hmm. on the internet or like bragging not bragging but yeah like advertising how like pathetic and sad their sex lives are
1: yeah we know a person like that (laughs) anecdotally who we talked about recently on a previous episode um but she and now it's it's billed as like whatever like performance art or comedy right that's or podcasting whatever (laughs) (laughs) But she does everything in her power to provoke people, especially men into hating her. it's all. Yeah. The care. Yeah. I mean, the character, the sort of fictionalized yeah. character. Um, she, you know, she bl- sucks off this guy when he shows kind of a basic ounce of coerced humanity. Yeah. And then like, you know, when people actually do show her decency and largesse, like her college ex-boyfriend who shows up and threatens or and offers, threatens to pick her up off the floor (laughs) and and show her around the UK, she is repulsed and rebuffs him. He like puts his arm around her in that chapter in this very proprietary fashion. And she very self in a self-aware fashion writes about how she put on this feminist spectacle and was like, I'm not your property. I don't belong to you. Don't touch me. Uh Um, yeah guys guys don't like that (laughs) no but like this is a woman who is basically goading everybody into hating her to because ostensibly she wants to be proven wrong that actually people are decent and she's worthy of love but secretly she wants to be proven right so she can luxuriate
0: in her like negative
1: vision of herself.
0: Yeah, I mean, in a more straightforward way, I think like she hates herself. Yeah, so she alienates the people around her, right? Yeah, to make yeah. them hate her because she can't, can't conceive of how she would be truly lovable. But of course, she would love to be, or like, yeah, you sort of punish people around you because you want you're looking for someone to love you like Unconditional, unconditionally, yeah. which is very rare. Of course,
1: you're shit testing them. Exactly. Yeah which I've done. But, you know, it's like Mary J Blige said, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, if you if you I'm paraphrasing and I'm going to butcher this, but if you can't love yourself, how are, how do you expect anybody else to love you? Of it's course. really true. It's so it's, corny it's, and trite, no, no, but it's, no, it's true. It is very true. Yeah. And allowing other people and to And until
0: you do, you'll like push everyone away who does.
1: Right. And but allowing other people to love you is uh, actually has kind of a dark and cynical edge in that it implies parting with your exceptional narrative of yourself and accepting people who you think on some level don't measure up because we all resent the people that love us because they must be either stupid or cynical to love us. That's yeah. kind of the narcissist's dilemma. Right. Yeah.
0: Go, go off. <laughs> yeah.
1: But that's, I think that Elizabeth Wurzel for that reason was very valuable to young girls because that's the kind of headspace we were
0: at we were in when we were that age. Yeah. I think in a way she's also perpetuated that headspace as a, as a way of being in the world. Yeah. You know,
1: but if nothing else, like the rejection of Elizabeth Wurzel's kind of ideological case would not exist, could not exist if it weren't for her. So in in that sense, she's doing us a valuable service because part of the path to maturity is rejecting that kind of juvenile, Narcissistic, nihilistic outlook.
0: Right. I mean, I'm definitely guilty of having like girl interrupted syndrome. How do you mean? For, you know, through my teens and early 20s at least. Yeah. Of being like, I'm so special and so tortured and like, yeah Fiona Apple right. style. Like, yeah. You should probably stay away from me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but what you really mean is love me and adore me. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm yeah, exceptional. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> I'm really bad for you. Yeah, just like telling a horny guy while you're about to go down
0: on yeah, him, like, like ooh. <laughs> promise you won't fall in love with me because <laughs> I'm really damaged. Okay, <laughs> I'm damaged goods. Um, you wouldn't want to know about all the interesting damaged stuff about me, would you? Because that would really.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, c- can you tell me? I'm gonna see how this stacks up against my ex-girlfriends, one of whom was Chinese. <laughs>
0: um.
1: What were you going to say about Christopher
0: Lash, Anna?
1: Oh, uh, this was in reference to this other article, the resistance thing. Let's get into that. Let's get into that.
0: Um, Take a big swig of water. Mm -hmm. The resistance. The resistance. There was an article in The Cut about, um, what's the company called? Lingua Franca. Lingua Franca that makes, uh, the woman who started that, who makes sort of... um, Embroidered, the embroidered sweaters we all are familiar with. The
1: $380 cashmere sweaters yeah, that, that say, say like booyah and I miss Barack. Time's up. Time's up. Uh, I'm with her. Biggie bitch or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Miss Biggie, Miss Biggie. <laughs> it should say Miss Piggy. That sweater I would buy. <laughs> um, the articles by Marissa Meltzer in the cut. It's called The Ladies Who Launch. Mm-hmm. Great title. Lingua Franca and the Rise of Resistance Chic. And it's basically a puff piece for this brand lingua franco where they have to give the illusion of critical distance to divert some attention onto their friend who has a brand. Um, (laughs) The trick with these kind of stories is that they have to be infuriating because the whole economy is powered by hate flick clicks. So you have to like train yourself to like not take the bait. Right. Fuck these rich liberal pussy hat women. Yeah. Yeah.
0: and she sort of draws the analogy of like the contemporary, the former like ladies who would lunch, yes. sort of high society socialite women who used to, you know, um, lunch and go to like benefit auctions um, and now do uh, have to start like fake little businesses that yeah, <laughs> essentially circulate amongst themselves and their friends.
1: Um, she, so she talks about how it's not enough start a brand the brand also has to have now a socially conscious mission or purpose right. or agenda as a way of mission like statement
0: deflecting the privilege that allows you to like start a frivolous brand to begin with
1: right and the woman that they're profiling is um this woman called rachel hruska mcpherson mm. she was originally the founder of guest of a guest the party photo site oh yeah that i'm sure chloe 70 and grimes have been on multiple yeah. occasions the cobra snake <laughs> yeah and so she's clearly in with all the media elites all the girls that populate the offices of like the cut and vanity fair and vogue and whatever um yeah and she she talks about basically how she um had postpartum depression or anxiety or something and her therapist told her that she had to use her hands so she bought some vintage sweaters off of ebay and embroidered them because her grandmother had taught her how to embroider which I thought was an interesting detail because women of her stature typically don't have grandmothers who teach them to embroider.
0: Yeah. Well, she says she comes from humble means towards the end. Right.
1: She, which... she says, I come from nowhere and I come from nothing. <laughs> so about that, mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. This is my anecdote. So a crazy thing happened to me on the way to podcasting. Okay. Um, last night I was butt chugging some lash articles from, harper's the friend of the pod julia malucci handed to me in a dossier which is very sweet of her um and one of them is an abridged um it's an abridged version of revolt of the elites which we'll get to later and the second one is the life of kennedy's death which is an essay that's randomly about how the myth of kennedy's death was used to prop up the myth of his career Uh And both were fraudulent and necessary to like the liberal elites vision of themselves as virtuous and meritocratic. Right. Um, In this article, um, she talks or or Lash talks about this commission on violence that was convened um, by Lyndon B. Johnson in the wake of JFK's death, but also MLK's death and RFK's death. Okay. All high profile political assassinations. um, And the, commission on violence included a senator called roman hruska mm. weird mm. so i had just read this resistance article and then all of a sudden totally randomly later that night i encamp- it's like when you learn a new word and you hear it later yeah. that day hruska. and i heard this name hruska which sounds like ruski yeah. it's a, a kind of a rare and pro- i would guess polish or ukrainian last name it's a yeah. weird maybe Slo- like hungarian something it's yeah. an ungainly slavic sounding name um And it's also the same name as Rachel Hruska McPherson, uh, the woman entrepreneur from the Cut article. So like on a hunch, I Googled Mm -hmm. Roman Hruska and according to Wikipedia, it turns out he was a Republican senator from Omaha, Nebraska, who was one of the most vocal conservatives in the Senate during the 60s and 70s. Um, And again, I remember distinctly in the Cut article, Hruska saying, I I come from nowhere, I come from nothing. Let me make my $300 sweaters in peace. And to make a long story short, again on a hunch, I Google Rachel Kruguska, and she's from Omaha, Nebraska. So she is related to Roman Kruguska. <laughs> There's no way she's not. Yeah, of God gave me this wow kernel of kind of inside baseball meaningless information. <laughs> he handed it to me on a silver platter. Um, I have no doubt that they're related. She's probably his granddaughter is what I'm guessing. That would be my guess as well. So this is a woman who's not a coastal elite but with all due respect comes
0: from from a legacy from a
1: leg from a political legacy an american heartland political legacy conservative legacy conservative legacy that was created by immigrants who i guarantee you came here the generation before roman
0: Mm -hmm. and were probably like
1: agrarian or industrial laborers yeah yeah and that's why she has a grandmother who taught her how to embroider. Oh my it God. It makes so Anna. much sense. <laughs> you should be a detective. Oh, I know. Amazing. I was like, what the
0: fuck? But it's
1: like, this is what happens when you read
0: books and essays. Yeah. You start, and you start to make connections You start to see between the lines. Yeah. That's amazing. Really cut through wow. the wet brain. Yeah. Cause of course, I mean, just even not knowing that it's obvious she didn't come from nowhere or nothing. Right. Because those people are not like ingratiated into high society very often
1: yeah you don't you don't typically <clears throat> like the article makes way... it seem like
0: she wrote embroidered booyah sweater posted it on instagram and it took and off. it took off where it's like the people who are in the the network of people who followed her on instagram were obviously very power powerful and influential and like yes. well to do people who would want to buy a stupid sweater
1: <laughs> well yeah there here's the the paragraph i'm googling um so she so this is here's a paragraph from the cut article now, along with California love and every day I'm hustling, you can get a lingua franca sweater embroidered with I didn't vote for him. Nasty woman or the revolution will not be tweeted. Connie Britton wore one of uh, one of its poverty is sexist. Three hundred eighty retail, but gifted to her from Bono's one foundation to the Golden Globes the year after me, too. When everyone was wearing black. Reese Witherspoon bought a bunch that read Time's Up for Friends, including Meryl Streep, who wore it on Ellen. Um and she also, uh, she basically handed out these sweaters to like rich and powerful women in her milieu. Yeah, time's up. <laughs> yeah, she made one for Anna Carter, who's the wife of uh, Graydon
0: Carter. Yeah, um, there's lots of like women's names that I'm like, I don't like, know who ding, they are, ding, but ding. I know yeah. that they are. Um, yeah, she thinks because she lives in the meatpacking district, she's not like. Um, a high society doll.
1: <laughs> well, she says this. She's like, I finally opened an office on like the Upper East Side or something. Uh-huh. And that's like, those people are stodgy, but they, they are influential and have a lot of money. And she makes this kind yeah. of like narcissism of small differences, like purely symbolic distinction mm-hmm. between her and I them. live in Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> We're I We're like slumming it in Cobble Hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. It's, but it's funny because her husband is this hotelier, Sean McPherson, who owns the Jane Hotel. He owns the Bowery Hotel. He owns Mm -hmm. Waverly Inn and something called the Crow's Nest. Um, And the name Lingua Franca comes from the fact that he likes to say that hip hop is the Lingua Franca of our time. That's uh, cringy. Cringe.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Ooh. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Ah, those blacks are so creative they've really established the lingua franca of our (laughs) time god Uh, yeah but yeah you uh, you're right it's like we can't take the bait and share the article and be like be outraged yeah because really all we all we'll do is sell more sweaters
1: because it's like fubu it's for them by them except we're not talking about
0: creative poor black people we're talking about rich, blood-sucking, white, liberal elites. Yeah. There was a similar thing. In California, there was, like, girls in their uh, late 20s, early 30s who would start, like, linen Mm bedsheet company or, like, cotton bralette company. And it was, like... (laughs) (laughs) And then they would sell them at little, like, general stores or they would, like, also, like, repackage some Palo Santo and sell that. And I was always, like, this is a totally, like, insular economy where you're all just, like circulating these goods no, it's <laughs> amongst like, yourselves it's like, like that one episode you know, and, of views and, and butthead like, i'm gonna start making rings now and yeah. like oh you could sell them in my store oh cool and they like pretend that they're being like entrepreneurial or like productive but really they're just like sucking their own dicks
1: yeah they're like selling it back to each other yeah um it's like some like squishy ceramics and repackaged palo santo next to a copy of like fiona duncan's new book and they're serving like um, quinoa bowls or whatever (laughs) um which is fine i mean like people need a way to survive spiritually speaking cuz right. economically they they
0: don't need they're, they're they don't need to start of. a kombucha company.
1: I I want to know how aware they are of this. Are they in wortel's terms living in denial? Like how
0: deep is their denial? Right. No, I think it's very deep. I think that like this lingua franca woman is like um LARPing basically as like a businesswoman even right. though her business is completely like frivolous and pointless, but she gets to like she has to answer some emails and she has to like take some inventory and stuff and it like gives her life some structure and meaning. But like yeah. if she thought about it for a second, she'd blow her brain. She'd, off. yeah. And it, it
1: allows her, <laughs> yeah, it allows her to, um, she'd like Epstein herself. Just kidding. He didn't kill himself. Yeah. Um, she, it allows her to like, um, ignore her two kids and new dog. Yeah
0: honey, I'm sorry. I just have to send these emails right now. Yeah, she's like, she's I'm got so all bases covered. I'm so stressed out about work. Oh.
1: <laughs> no, it's a perfect grift because when she wants to ignore her family life, she's like, I, I got to fulfill these orders. Mm-hmm. These uh, I have to
0: have a launch for my pop-up shop. It's yeah, not going to organize yeah, It's itself. not going to order itself. <laughs> these
1: $380 sweaters that say, I miss Michelle, are not going to embroider themselves.
0: The canapes aren't ready yet for <laughs> yeah. the pop-up launch.
1: And then when she wants to ignore the more foundational organizational i.e. boring aspects of her business she could say as she does in the article hey i have a two kids and a dog and a husband mm-hmm. it's the perfect grift yeah um there's there's an interesting so this couple they in the article it says how they have beat the system etched into their wedding bands
0: yeah um mm-hmm. and as i As I said, beat the system by marrying a hotelier. (laughs) (laughs) No,
1: seriously. That's
0: what, I mean, that's like,
1: you know, as I said, I rewatched wall street. That's Gordon Gekko's idea of beating the system Mm
0: -hmm. of It's it's cashing in.
1: It's cashing in being the one individual who was just smart and cunning and craven enough to leave all the other plebs and proles and bumpkins in the dust. And like, you know, the, all of these people who have like beat the system in, embroidered or etched into their personal belongings yep. have horrendously what
0: exactly bad do you taste mean by system <laughs> yeah what system yeah yeah no they do the taste yeah
1: and their taste really only reveals their lack of convictions and conscience it's like people in the american psycho wall street days had like really bad george condo paintings on the walls and yeah. like marble trump whatever what's that thing where it, it looks like it's coming out of I can't uh, pronounce Trump it. Like Trompe whatever interiors.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> you almost had a PhD in art history. I know. I can't pronounce <laughs> French. That's why I quit yeah. actually.
1: Um, and, and these people have like rustic industrial finishes. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. tussled beach hair. Yeah. And filament all, bulbs. Yeah. Uh, and everything is like pride from the cold dead hands of like Indonesian and Peruvian artisans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You could make, I'd love to see an American psycho like set in that no reality
1: yeah well no i was thinking about this too like a movie like american psycho or wall street can never be made today um not even because movie making has declined in any meaningful way but because You know, people on Wall Street were just as much of tacky, insecure, hyper-competitive losers as people in Silicon Valley are. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing looked so much more impressive from the outside. The buildings were very
0: monumental. The suits were expensive. The aesthetic was cohesive, whereas this one is like uh, cynical and hypocritical.
1: Yeah. And it's like a a bunch of guys with man boobs bobbing around on beanbag chairs in like an (laughs) open floor plan setting (laughs) with like succulents and craft beers. It just looks weak and unimpressive yeah
0: that's true
1: so i'm not I mean, yeah. making a case for the return of like reagan capitalism no of course um, not the gilded age as <laughs> she talks about her um collage mm. that, she ha- that she hasn't changed oh my
0: god i haven't even had time to change my collage it's like the collage that she displays behind her desk yeah yeah yeah. um
1: it has um joan diddy and selena at l Derby's. Um, A picture (laughs) of the earth. with There is no plan B (coughs) written above it. Beyonce, Biggie Smalls and a card that reads roses are red, violets are blue. I want to destroy white supremacy with you. So cool. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) She's so awesome. Um, (laughs) My, my favorite part was um, the part where she talks about how she was radicalized and gained um, political consciousness um, after the, 2017 travel ban because the at the time she had um three fit students from iran who were sewing for her yeah (laughs) and they were sad yeah they were sad yeah i wonder how much she
0: was paying them it says later on that she pays her she pays them decently well yeah but it's not exactly um a very labor-intensive operation no embro- we we could do embroidery and we i couldn't we do it can't. As, no, no. I, ju- I just mean it's it's a specialized it's not like um there's a fact it's not like a factory operation it's like they're skilled laborers who are like doing sewing by right. hand you know um but in terms of like the separation of labor there's not much like only one person can really embroider something yeah um but good for her for paying them I guess yeah that's nice of her (laughs) Um, she should let them all stay at the Bowery
1: yeah she should get them all sweets at the Waverly Inn or whatever Jane Hotel or whatever property her husband owns Um, and it, it made me think of the Revolt of the Elites article where Lash talks about something called assortative mating, Mm. which is a very ugly and ungainly term. It's very dark in here, so I don't know if I can see it. Um, But it's the tendency of men to marry women who can be relied on to bring bring an income more or less equivalent to their own. So Lash says, I don't necessarily agree with him on this, that back in the day doctors used to marry nurses Mm. and lawyers and executives used to marry their secretaries and now upper middle class men are marrying women Um, of their own class uh, who are like business or professional associates who have careers of their own. Um. I don't know if he's totally right about that, but what he's saying basically is that um, if you marry a woman who has an income equivalent of your own uh, as your own, you double your income effectively. Right. So if two working class people who make 20,000 a year, marry each other, they have 40,000. If two middle class people who make 70 K a year, marry each other, they get one forty thousand. So they're in a league above. They've like significantly increased. Yeah. yeah. And they're like coupled together. Um, and that I mean, that's certainly what's going on here. It's people like consolidating their elite status through kind of like a delusional belief in meritocracy convincing themselves that it was their unique merits and talents and intelligence that got them there and not the fact that they were the spawn of some conservative senator <laughs>
0: in butt fuck Nebraska. That they're there and their hotelier husband are breaking the system by yeah. tying the knot and doubling there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very powerful myth.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And it's scary. I mean, his central thesis is like, you know, in, in modernity, the the assumption was that the revolt was coming from below, from the working class, the subalter and the unwashed masses mm. who were like uh, kind of uh, superstitious and hidebound and had a contempt for high culture. Yeah. And were gonna storm the walls and behead the ruling class. But he's saying like, no, the real revolt is coming from these upper middle class professional managerial elites who have a deep-seated contempt for poor people while pretending to uh, invest in poor people. Right. To smash the white supremacy. Yeah, to (laughs) smash white supremacy. (laughs) And it's very interesting that all of them donate to charity. Like she proudly says, Mm -hmm. like, you know, $100 from every sweater goes to charity. Right. Which the the whole concept of charity is
0: totally evil and neoliberal. Well, charity is you know, very different. It, charity is exactly like what I was talking about with like solidarity. Right. It's like being charitable is not the same as like having solidarity with someone else's suffering and like putting something on the line to like alleviate it for them.
1: Exactly. They're not putting anything on the line of no. their own
0: money. They're the cost of that charity is built into the price of the sweater.
1: Exactly. Yes. And they're, <laughs> and they're condescendingly <laughs> flinging alms mm-hmm. to
0: all the beggars below. Yeah. Oh, uh. <laughs> people don't want your charity article no they (laughs) don't yeah people don't want charity they just want like dignity and a standard of living that (laughs) should be afforded anyone
1: yeah it's like this kind of like mutually um that's right sister Mm -hmm. it's this like mutually kind of demeaning and repulsive situation where the rich donate to the poor out of spite and condescension and a feeling of moral superiority and the poor have to begrudgingly accept it because they, they have, have nowhere to go but they don't actually want yeah. your fake largesse
0: <laughs> <sighs> Ugh. anyway we've done like an hour and a half that's been.
1: great wow that's so long but bernie or bust bernie your bust c and hell <laughs> yeah see and <you> hell <laughs>